I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to find the book we're going to be in this morning, as we're going to be in the book of Zechariah for the next six weeks. Zechariah is in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. Those of you who are sporting smartphones, you got it already. Those of you who got the physical, you got the paper Bible, may take you a couple minutes to find it. It's on page 943, in case you're wondering. You should be able to find it there, unless you got a Bible different than mine. Anyhow, how many of you, it's said it's been a tough time the past year and a half as we've had government mandates controlling our lives, dictating to us how we ought to live, dictating to us how we ought to go into stores with masks on, dictating to us how we ought to interact and how far to stand apart from other people, how to micromanage, they've been micromanaging every area of our lives, you're trying to rather. It's been tough. It's been tough for us. Especially tough, the extra 15 pounds. Or COVID-19, the 19 pounds, right? It's been a tough year and a half. And we're now starting to come out of it, thankfully. And we're starting to experience some more of the freedom. I remember when uh, the CDC finally came out and they said that you know, masks are no longer recommended to have to wear in the stores and we walked in it's like wasn't it awesome to see people's faces in the, in king supers or safeway or wherever you shop or walmart's and you go into hey i can see a smile on that person i can see a, a grin i can see somebody's face for the first time and be able to have a full conversation instead of just having to read what they're thinking through their eyes it's been fun imagine being the hebrews after 70 years of captivity, allowed to go back to their homeland. And for 70 years, they'd been oppressed by a government that was pushing them down and treating them as slaves and refused to allow them the freedoms they used to have. We just had it for 15, 16 months. In some states, it's still going on. But for most of us, it's just been 14, 15, 16 months, and we were already at each other's throats and imagine for 70 years and now imagine the spiritual anemia that would have taken place among those people the lax daysical attitude the apathy that would have seeped in over the course of 70 years as they're bombarded by cultural ideology that's not their own that's there's all these other statues of these other gods and the social pressure is there to give in the cultural pressure is there to just come on just make your sacrifice it doesn't mean anything anyway if you want to be accepted by our culture you need to do what we what we do the pressure was on and so much spiritual anemia so much apathy set in place of the 70 years it became as they were now going back to jerusalem to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple and rebuild their nation it was one more layer of difficulty to reenact and get people back on fire as they're supposed to have been originally for the lord and that's where we find ourselves here in Zechariah. Actually, it's 20 years after the first people have come back and they're supposed to have already built the temple. And all they've laid so far is just the foundation stones. And then 
apathy set in, oppressive people came in, opposition rose up, and the people got discouraged, got demoralized, and they allowed the cultural influences around them there in what is the promised land to seep in again, and they left behind their job. That's where we find ourselves as we look at the book of Zechariah for the next few weeks. And how do we come out of that apathy? What is it that, that God called upon the nation of Israel to do? To come out of that apathy, to reignite the fire within them of spiritual joy, of finding a place where they can come together and worship the Lord in, in truth and spirit. Come together at the temple, come together for the sacrifices, come together to rejoice again. And to give God his due. In our first year in South Korea, 1993, we, we were teachers at a small Christian school there. And during the week, we'd go, we used to go to a church, the international church there in our town. After its church on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, if we were there, I mean, all the teachers, we'd kind of walk back together through the, through the town and down the streets to get back home. And there was one girl in our, in our group, and we used to love to let her lead going home. Her name was Leanne, a good friend of ours. And she readily admits this. So, Leanne, if you're watching, nobody here knows you, so you're okay. Leanne's told us, she goes, no, I just seem to get lost no matter where. I can be two blocks from my house and I get lost. She said, I have directional dyslexia. I cannot find my way home. So we said, really? <laughs> go, lead. And we'll, we'll walk three steps back and we'll just watch where you're going to go. And sure enough, we'd be walking down the street and we knew as soon as we got to this cross street, we had to make a left to go over the railroad tracks and she'd go up to it and go, Make a right. The total opposite direction. And we'd, we'd let her go for a minute. Man, get back this way. And she'd come back. And we'd go, get over the railroad tracks. And she'd stop and look. And her house is right across the street. And she's like making a right turn, making a left turn. She had to carry a, a, a little map with her in her purse so she could follow that map all the way home. If Siri had been around back then, she'd be going, pushing on her purse. Go home. Take me home. And Siri pops up. Turn right at the next street. Turn left at the next street. I'm sorry. Turn left at the next street. Turn right. It's a, it's a female voice. I tried to change my Siri to a man voice because I can't have a woman tell me what to do. It didn't work. As I lived with six, seven women in my house. It was so much fun watching her struggle. But if she just had that button, and you could have said, go home, go home, go home. That's what God is telling the nation of Israel, who's wandered away from their faith. That's what God is telling to us as well, the message to us. If you're in a point of stagnation, if we find yourself in a place where reading the word of God is no longer the joy it was, if coming to church is no longer a joy, but it's just... I gotta go there, pastor's gonna be calling me this week. And you're doing it out of a sense of duty. 
The message is go home. Go back to where God is. Go back to where the foundation of your faith is. Go back to God. See, our problem is up until now, we, we've come to know God, follow Him, and walk with Him, but our hearts are not really His yet. If our hearts were really His, I mean, we've made a many of us have made a profession of faith. We said, God, I'm yours, I'm all yours. But if our hearts were really and truly His, without us holding anything back, apathy would not even be a question. Walking away from God would never even be a question. Augustine, in his confession number 45, he said this, he says, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless unless they rest in you. Admitting that inside the heart, inside the heart of every man, inside the body of every man, inside our, our psyche, there is a place there that yearns for God. Whether mankind knows it or not, there is something inside of us that yearns for God. And we seek after the spiritual. We seek after it. We try to fill that hole with so many other things in life. But until we let God in and take full control of that, we'll never find true peace. We'll never find rest. The deep reality of losses that we experience before we come to Jesus as Savior. And only hearing the gospel and placing Savior faith in Christ, only that can cure the restlessness of somebody initially. But even as saved people, it's possible for us to wander from the close fellowship of the Lord because of persistent sin in our lives without repentance. Some older believers call this walking at a guilty distance. I'm a believer. But I don't want to get too close to God. I don't want to get too close to Jesus because then my sin will be revealed. So I'm walking with him at a distance because I can't get, let myself get too close because then he's going to see who I really am. Newsflash, he already knows who you are. He already knows that you're walking at a distance because of you're afraid of your sin being revealed. You're, you're afraid of your apathy being revealed. You're afraid of your spiritual anemia being revealed. He knows it. Theologian author Edward Tozer said this. He says, one serious and often distressing problem for many Christians is their feeling that God is far from them or that they are far from God, which is the same thing. Whether you feel like God is far from you or you feel like you're far from God, it's the same thing. And I have to tell you, God's not the one who moved. When Israel came back to the land and they were supposed to build this temple to bring worship back to the people, and they walked away from the temple, the temple never moved. God didn't move. He was always there. It's the people who walked away from the temple. So Zechariah comes on the scene. See, the hope of the gospel is that lost people can be found and that the distant and wandering believers can come back to the Lord at any time. 
The hope of the gospel is that, that no matter where you are in your life in relation to God, you can wander far away, you can start off far away, you can always come back. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. What's the message there? The son walks away, goes into a far land, wastes all of his money. And then he says, I'm going to go back to my father. Because even there, the servants eat better than I do. The servants eat better than I do here. And he goes back to his father. What does the father do? Well, comes him with open arms. He comes running down the driveway to meet him. And he says, here's my son. The father never moved. The son is the one who walked away. But what happens, you see that when we walk away from the Lord, in nearly every moral category, profession Christians have become just like the lost world. When you look around and you see those who say, I'm a believer, I got saved when I was whatever age, I got baptized, I've been involved in the church, I'm a deacon in the church, I'm, I'm a leader in the church, I work, work on the worship team, I teach Sunday school, I work in the nursery, I come set up coffee in the morning, I'm a greeter, whatever it is, the possibilities for all of us to become just like the world. I mean, consider these measurements. That divorce rate among Christians is the same as that of non-Christians. That Christian men regularly view, regularly view pornography just as often as non-Christian men. Christians are more than twice as likely to have racist attitudes as non-Christians, according to the study. The one in four people living together outside of marriage call themselves evangelical. Only 6% of evangelicals regularly tithe. That domestic violence, drug and alcohol abuse, and most other problems are as prevalent among Christians as among non-Christians. I can give you the stats. I can give you the reference to that later if you want. The world, we should not look like the world. We are called to live at a higher standard. We as believers, as a church of God, as a church of Jesus Christ, the living God of this world, we are called to set an example to live a life differently than the world. Those stats shame us as the church as a whole. It should not be what it is. So God's call to his people is go home. Go home to where I am. So here in Zechariah chapter 1, God's call to the people in the very beginning is to return to him. Follow along with me. It says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, and the son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. You know those names are not an accident. They kind of give us a key and a, an idea, a, a, a window into the theme of the book of Zechariah as a whole. The name Zechariah itself means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers his people. The Lord remembers what his promise was. The Lord remembered his people in Babylon and brought them back. He didn't send them off to Babylon and said, y'all messed up. I'm done with y'all. We'll find somebody else to work with. The Lord remembered his promise to his people. The name Berechiah, his, his father, means the Lord blesses. 
The Lord blesses. And Edo, the son, his grandfather, means in time. So literally, by laying those three names out there, he's calling to people's attention the theme of this book that the Lord remembers and blesses in his time. We may think that God has walked away from us. We may think that God has forgotten us. We may think that God does not see us in our needs. But the Lord remembers and the Lord blesses in his time. It's for us to seek his face and say, God, is the time yet? And remind him, God, is the time yet? And don't lose hope. God, is the time yet? I know it's tough. I know times are tough. I know life is tough. I know things going on around you that are demoralizing. The Lord sees and the Lord remembers. Lord will bless. Think of the timing of this message from Zechariah to the people. The Israelites, as I mentioned earlier, had been back in the promised land for almost two decades, almost 20 years. And yet they had not yet really begun rebuilding the temple as they were supposed to. They had forgotten to bring back into the people the place of worship. So consequently, the nation of Israel, those who were brought back, had drifted off into worshiping other gods again. They've forgotten God. Even though he remembered them, they had forgotten him. And so the Lord reminds them of the anger of his past. Verse 2. It says, Lord was very angry with your fathers. Remember. Remember what happened. Remember 70, 80, 90 years ago. Remember. God was angry with your fathers. Literally in the Hebrew text, it says he had the anger. He was angry with anger. You ever wonder why in Scripture God repeats himself? He's redundantly redundant. Because whenever you see that in Scripture, verily, verily, I say unto you, God's angry with anger. Other places where he repeats himself, Lord hates a lying tongue. Lord doesn't like those who lie. He repeats himself because he's trying to bring, he amplifying the force of that expression to bring a point to that. God was really, really angry with the nation of Israel. They had abandoned their worship. They had abandoned him. In fact, Psalm 78 kind of summarizes their offense. He says, they did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done and the wonderful works that he had shown them. They began attributing all their blessings, all the things that were happening good in their society and their culture to the other gods, little g's to all the other gods of other nations. They began worshiping all those other little gods. They began going out to the high places and they began, they've forgotten their place that they were the people of God, called by God to make an example, to be an example in that nation and that community around them, to lead all the other nations into worship of God. They fall into sin. And attributing all their success to all those other gods. And blatantly flaunting their sinful lifestyle. And it says that God became angry with anger over that. How, how bad do you have to be to get God really, really angry at you? <laughs> the Israelites did it. And he kept warning him, didn't he? He kept warning through all the prophets, it's coming. If you don't turn here, if you don't turn around, if you don't stop, if you don't go back to the way it was, if you don't turn back to God, I'm going to bring judgment. For hundreds of years, he kept saying, 
I'm going to bring it. It's coming. It's, oh, God's been saying that for a hundred years. <laughs> He's not really going to do anything. Then Nebuchadnezzar comes marching through their land. Then Darius takes over from Nebuchadnezzar. And God remembers his people. See, his righteousness, his righteous wrath caught up with them. And he called the people to return to him, and they didn't. He called the people to remember him, and they didn't. Until it was too late. How bad do you have to be to get in God's anger zone? You ever been to SeaWorld? You know what the soak zone is? You get your tickets, and they say, you can sit down front, right by Shamu. And people willingly go down into that zone and says, soak zone, you will get drenched if you sit here. Here's a piece of plastic. Good luck. Here's a, a Walmart plastic bag, or a shopping bag, put over your head with little holes in it, right? And people willingly put themselves in that soak zone because it's fun. On a hot day, maybe. What's it got to be like to willingly put yourself in God's anger zone? That's what the Israelites did. They didn't just fall into it. They didn't just trip into it. They didn't just one day find themselves, oh, where, how did I get here? Oh, what happened? God had been warning them, and they continually, over and over and over again, put themselves in his sights of his anger. And the only way out of his anger zone is to repent and return to repent and return God's promise to us and he says it right there he says return to me says Lord of hosts and I will return to you James 4 8 he says the same thing in the New Testament in the New Testament church he says draw near to God and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners purify your hearts you double minded God's message it was the same to Israel as it was to the early church, the same as it is to us today. It hasn't changed. God hasn't moved. We have. And he repeats his warnings to Israel. He repeats those warnings. Look in verse 4 through 6. He says, don't be like your fathers, the ones he was angry and angry about. Don't be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? I warned you. I sent the warnings out there. I put the message out there in the prophets and in, in the scriptures. It was there for People who had the ears to hear and eyes to see. It was right there for people to pay attention to. And they ignored all the signs. He says, where are your fathers now? Where are the prophets now? Do they live forever? No. But my word does. And eventually, God's word overtook their fathers. So his patient endurance was long. He gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to turn back to him. 
and they refused. Eventually, their sins caught up with them. Eventually, God's word overtook them. They ignored the words of Isaiah, of Habakkuk, of Jeremiah. In fact, Jeremiah, how would you like to have been him? Preaching the word of God and God said, you're going to go and preach and nobody's going to listen to you. You're going to go and share my word and nobody's going to listen to you. In fact, at one point they took Jeremiah, they threw him in a dry septic tank. Anybody ever fallen into a septic tank? My brother did. The day before Regina and I got married, we were behind her grandmother's house being stupid, probably. I don't remember. It was 29 years ago. This month. Happy almost anniversary. And my brother takes a step, falls right down into the septic tank. We fish him out, get the hose, spray him off. It wasn't fun. His legs were blue from the fluid that was in there. It was not fun. He stunk. Jeremiah, they threw him down in that cistern. And he got to witness the destruction of Jerusalem. He got to witness the people being hauled off. He got to witness the end results of his preaching. That almost nobody turned their hearts back to God. It's the overtake here in this, in this verse, in verse 6. It says, God's words and literally overtook the people. It literally means to catch up with them. Their sins caught up with them. Their lifestyle caught up with them. You've got to wonder if while people were being hauled away by Nebuchadnezzar and his tribe, if they were, God, what are you, God, aren't you going to do something? Then they turned their eyes to God. God, aren't you going to stop this? God, have you forgotten your people? No, God didn't forget his people. They have forgotten him. In Deuteronomy 28, it says, All these blessings will come and overtake you because you obey the Lord your God. In verse 15, But if you do not obey the Lord your God by carefully following all of his commands and statutes I am giving you today, all these curses will come and overtake you. He was talking to the nation of Israel. Moses is preaching to him. Follow the commands of God. Put yourself within the box that God has laid out and you will find yourself safe. You will find yourself within his blessings. You will find yourself with more joy and blessings than you can fathom. But if you willingly remove yourself out of the box, you place yourself in the anger zone. You place yourself in God's soak zone. Willingly. Outside Louisiana, there's a bridge. 24 mile long bridge. It crosses Lake Pontchartrain. If you've ever gone from New Orleans side all the way across to the other side, the Lake Pontchartrain, it's a long bridge. You lose sight of land on both sides. It's awesome. It's fun. Unless there's bad weather. And there's a story that goes out about uh, a pastor named Bobby Welch just one time he was crossing that bridge 24 miles and fog was rolling in and it was just roll after roll after roll of fog 
And so he's creeping along, got his headlights on, got his fog lights on. He's creeping along slowly because you don't know what you're going to see. Sometimes you can't see from here to the back wall. It's so thick. In the middle of that lake. And he tells a story about how he was driving along and all of a sudden this crazy man's out there in the middle of the road going, stop, stop. He's jumping up and down and waving his arms. And Pastor Walsh just keeps right up going, stop, stop. As he goes by, the bridge is out. He hears him just in time. He gets up there and stops, pulls over. And you, of course, you don't know what's coming behind you either. So pulling over the side of the bridge, that can be just as dangerous as anything. They get out, they walk up a little further, the two of them, and they see cars that have gone off the edge of that bridge, somehow they're broken down into the water below. See, when we're preaching about God's anger and repentance, it's not a fun message to preach. I'd much rather be preaching about joy, love, the family of God. Let's get together and worship. Let's sing with the lion and the lamb one more time. And go out here with a good fuzzy feeling, but there are times in our lives where we need to be reminded that the bridge is out. The bridge is out in your life. You need to stop. Take a look at yourself. Examine yourself. Stop what you're doing. Stop on your tracks. And let God back. It's an urgent message and a loving message. Just as much as we love talking about the love of God and talking about the resurrection and the Christ. we got these banners up here that talk about God so loved the world there's no greater love. Hosanna in the highest. He's risen. He's saved. He heals all. Those are wonderful things to think about. But God's righteous judgment is out there as well for those who willingly set themselves apart from God. But it's not just the message of repentance and sin that we need to think about too. God's mercy is there as well. And that's another reason why we want to return to him because his mercy is always there welcoming us back, right? His mercy is right there. And this is what the people in Babylon realized. So, so they repented in verse 6. They repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us and for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. They remembered the Lord. And the Lord remembered them. They turned their hearts back to the Lord. And they repented of their sins. See, this is the third reason for us to return to God. Because His merciful intentions toward us. Because He is always merciful in His dealings with us. We draw near to God and He will draw near to us. We draw near to God and He will draw near to us. You hear the order of that? Just like it was back in James and here in Zechariah. It's the same order. You come to God and say, God, I've walked away from you. I'm coming back. And God says, here I am, waiting for you the whole time. I've never moved. Simply waiting on us to come back. His mercy is there. The Hebrews likely repented and right during, during and immediately after the captivity, but the judgment of God was already upon them. They came to understand that they had been taken away from their homeland because of their refusal to obey the warnings of God's prophets. They needed to repent. You know, repenting requires 
radical change. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. That's Bill Clinton. It's not just saying, I've been caught. Sorry, Mom. You have your kids tell you that. What were you doing? Nothing. Why is your hand in the cookie jar? Eat a cookie for you. Repentance is so much more than just saying, I'm sorry. See, repentance is a change of understanding. It's first of all, a change of understanding, which leads to a change of our minds and our way of thinking. Next slide. Two slides. Wait for them to catch up. Repentance is a change of understanding, which leads to a change of mind, which leads to a change of our hearts, which ultimately leads to a change of our duration. Warning. You're living one way, and you realize it's not the way that God wants you to live. And so you say, God, I acknowledge this. I repent of this. I need your help. I'm coming before you. I need to have a total, complete change in my heart, and I'm going to walk and do the other thing. I've been living my life by my own plans, my own desires. I need to reject that and walk according to God's plan and desires. I've been reading what I want to read. I'm going to reject that. I'm going to read what God wants me to read. I've been watching what I want to watch because it brings me pleasure. I'm going to reject that and watch what God wants me to watch. I've been speaking the way that I want to speak and speaking words that are not honoring to God. I'm going to reject that and only speak the words that God wants me to speak. I've been having attitudes and actions that are unpleasing to God and doing because it brings pleasure to me. I'm going to reject that and do what God wants live the way that God wants me to live. When you do that, you place yourself back in God's mercy box, the mercy zone, his grace zone. Over here is the anger zone. We talked about earlier. The soap zone where you don't want to be where shampoo comes up and you get soaking wet and the judgment of God can fall upon you. Said you want to place yourself in God's mercy zone, his grace zone, where he can pour out his blessings upon you as he desires to do. But it starts with repentance. Acknowledging that little thing in your life, in your heart, that is not truly God's yet. You know, they're saying that's all of us in this room. That's all of those watching online as well. We all have that little part in our hearts, in our lives, that we're keeping back. It's a secret. It's a secret. God doesn't. Yeah, he does. God knows about it. <laughs> He's just waiting for us to acknowledge it. See, the Hebrews, they trusted in the character of God enough to understand that even after they were far from him, and though they had been carried away into captivity, he would return to them if they would repent and turn to him. They recognized that God had done with them exactly what he had planned to do, what he had promised to do. They couldn't question it. They brought it upon themselves. The Babylonian captives who experienced God's anger and who had up to this point rejected God's warnings came to understand the truth of verse 3 where he says, return to me and I will return to you. And now through Zechariah, God was reassuring those who had returned to Jerusalem. I won't forget you. I won't reject you. I won't push you away. Return to me. The prodigal son running home to God. 
running back to God with all of the strength. And God running down that driveway to greet him with a bear hug. See, for us, through the cross of Jesus Christ, God brings us to himself. And he brings himself to us. Through the cross of Christ, he brings us to him and him to us. When God says, return to me, it's like Siri saying to us, you turn, time to make a U-turn. You're going the wrong direction. And through the grace and power of Jesus, we can repent and change direction. Without him, we are directionally, directionally dyslexic as well. We simply need to return to our God-oriented GPS to bring him into our lives, to focus on him, to repent. This morning, our invitations can be a little bit different. I'm going to kind of go old school a little bit. Up here in the front, they used to call it the altar growing up in church. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus this morning, but I know that many of us in this room have things we need to repent for. Repent for our spiritual apathy, repent for our giving into things online or giving into videos or giving into movies or giving into whatever it may be and our lifestyle that is not honoring and pleasing to him. And I want to give you the opportunity this morning as cares comes to play to come forward and just kneel here at the, this altar and repent to get things right with God. There's no special words, there's no secret words, there's no magic words. It's simply coming up here and saying, God, you know what that is in my heart. I need to give it to you. There's nothing magical about coming up here except you're stepping out from your seat and you're by you're acknowledging to God, say, you're acknowledging everyone around you that I'm not perfect. I'm not where I need to be. And I'm getting it right with God this morning. So as Karis plays, we're not going to sing. I'm going to open up this altar here this morning and ask you to come forward and pray. And she sings with us.